Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have banded together to battle evil. They are the heroes of World War II, as well as their sons and daughters, protégés and godchildren. Two True Freaks presents The Tales of the Justice Society of America! Hello and welcome back to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode number 88 and my name is Scott Gardner. And I am Jorge Sanchez. <laughs> no, I'm Michael Bailey. <laughs> welcome back. How's it been, man? How you doing? It, it's been good. I, I was a little thrown off because usually you, you, you're you like, I'm Scott Gardner and with me is my good buddy Michael <laughs> Bailey. So I got kind of thrown off there. My, no, I'm uh, I, I'm doing well. It's uh, our, 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 even though it's not our first episode of the new year, it's our first episode of the new yes. year. Uh, recording wise. So I, uh, I am rested from yesterday where I got to sleep in and, and uh, get relaxed and my wife and I are playing Lego Batman 3. <laughs> How is that? It uh, looks cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, if I'm correct, one of the characters we unlocked... This actually ties into stuff that you and I have recorded about. Uh, one of the characters we unlocked, I think, is the Batman from uh, the Emerald... Uh, that that uh, Batman Elseworlds, where he was a Green Lantern. Oh, cool. So, they're digging deep for characters on this one. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, I like that idea. They really are. And... and <laughs> You're not a fan of the 66 Batman series, but there's a lot of that in it. Because one of the... If, if you're familiar at all with the Lego games, you like have to find stuff. You have to find like gold bricks and red bricks on every level. And on every level, you have to rescue Adam West. And it's Adam West. It's it, his voice and everything. So it's, it's kind of... Oh, that's funny. And there's a whole like side level where you're in the 60s Batman series with Lego versions of them. And, and it's obviously a set. Like, they show cameras and stuff. So it, 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 it's kind of funny. Uh, it, right down to the picture of the Joker from that place uh, has the mustache on it, because of Cesar Romero not shaving his mustache. <laughs> so it's a, right. it's a fun little game. It's, it, it's really dug deep uh, into the, uh, into the DC universe to have some, I mean, they, they added Plastic Man, uh, so he's a playable character now. Oh, wow. Um, a bunch of, bunch of things like that. I'm enjoying the crap out of it. I'm also playing Injustice, uh, Gods Among Us, which is that DC fighting game, which is brutal. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) I don't know if you like fighting games or not, but if you do, I would suggest picking it up. 
No, I mean, I like I, I like them more when they're when there's like a, a mission involved. I mean, I, I like the fighting elements of games like that, but just a strict. You're, you're talking it's like a versus mode type of game, right? Yeah, but but well, that's part of it. But there's also a story mode where you play different characters and you have to fight through different people to get to the end of the level. Okay, yeah, that's that's and, more my style. That's that's the kind of games and, I like with. And the story is basically Kingdom Come meets Squadron Supreme. Hmm. Uh, where essentially something bad happened to Lois Lane and Superman takes over in this one reality. And the heroes of the quote-unquote main reality are thrown into it and have to overthrow him. And... The last guy you play is the heroic Superman, and he's the one that ends the game. Huh. So, and, 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 dude, when he shows up, it is, I mean, they didn't play the Williams theme, but they might as well have. Because when he shows up at the end to, like, kind of, like, take care of business, it's beautiful. <laughs> hmm. So... And the designs are interesting too. I wonder if there's, uh, I wonder if there's like YouTube videos or something of that out there. Oh yeah, yeah, there are, there are. And uh, George Newbern from Justice League plays Superman. Susan Eisenberg, who was Wonder Woman on Justice League, is Wonder Woman. Kevin Conroy is Batman. Huh. Uh, and they, they, they. Uh, Adam Baldwin is Green Lantern, and Stephen Amell from Arrow is playing Green Arrow. So it's, uh, they've got a pretty good voice cast too for this. Uh, I I was pleasantly surprised with the game uh, and how much it sucked me into it to the point now where I'm thinking of going out and getting the um, the uh, tie-in comic that tells the story of the world where Superman takes over in the five years before the game starts. So I've heard interesting things about that. About, you know, about, I'm always nervous when you say things like that because usually interesting things for you are bad things. No, I mean not necessarily. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've good and bad, obviously. But I mean, I, I've heard you know things that are that are kind of intriguing to me personally about it. So I mean, if I, if it ever if I ever have the opportunity to you know score it on the cheap or it just happens to fall in my lap, you know, I'd, I'd check it out. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I put the, the the frame of mind I put myself in is that this isn't. This is an Elseworlds right, type yeah. story. So, dealing with it on that level, it's like, okay, I can I can go with what's going here because we're just exploring an idea. And it's it's not like they're saying, this is how it should be, this is just how this story is. Right. So, well, I'm much more forgiving yeah. of, um, you know, for lack of a better term, <clears throat> pardon me, for lack of a better term, bastardizations of Superman. I'm much more forgiving of that when it's something like an Elseworld story than I am when they take, you know, essentially the, the front and center, you know, present mm-hmm. day mainstream presentation of him and, and start toying around with him, you know, a la, you know, new 52, for example. Um, you know, because, you know, we, we've talked about this a million times, but I like a particular presentation of Superman and you, you go too far left or right on that and, and you kind of lose me. But when it comes to, Elseworlds. I mean, that's that's the deal. That's the whole thing. Is you can basically do yeah. what you want, and it's and it's your playground to experiment with the formula. And so, yeah, I mean, that's what kind of intrigues me about it. But somebody posted um, a panel from one of those books not long ago that that really kind of intrigued me. Um, and it was from I, I couldn't tell you what 
chapter or what part or whatever, but it, it was Superman related, and it was just one of these kind of things where like, hmm, that that interests me. So, like I say, if I ever have the opportunity to to give it a once over, I'll definitely check it out because it, it does sound like an intriguing concept. And the and, and the games like we we picked it up for Christmas because it's in like the twenty dollar bins now, mm-hmm. so it's just like I'm not paying full price for it. So, oh, I'm getting the best of both worlds. I'm getting to play a good game and I'm not paying a lot for it. So. It is. It's just twenty bucks now. Yeah, it's just twenty bucks cool. now. So, I don't know what gaming systems you have, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, I I know that one of our friends uh, it was available free for a little while for the PS4. So, but I don't know what I think you guys have an Xbox. Yeah, we we have several, but the only the only one that we really ever play with any frequency is is still our 360. We have not upgraded to any of the the latest stuff yet, just, you know, mostly for money concerns, but also I just I haven't seen that that one like, oh my god, I got to own it game yet. You know, that's that's made me want to jump up to the next yeah, thing. And and that's the thing is is I am hardly a gamer. You are far more uh, I would be far more considered a gamer than I am. Oh, it's funny is I, I don't really even because it's funny because you know this this Christmas um, I got my first new game in a long time and I've I've played the most video games in the past week than I've played in probably the past I don't know two three years. Um, you know, once we I got into this podcasting gig as much as we do it, you know, I just I just don't have the time for it, but. Uh, uh, my son Logan got me um, Red Dead Revolver, which I've wanted to play for years, and I got sucked into that. But the big thing we've been playing is uh, uh, we got the the Marvel uh, Disney Infinity 2.0. Ah. That's a blast, dude! I mean that I'm we are having the time of our lives playing that. Um, that that's a lot of fun. I figured it um, would be. Uh, I mean, it, it's very similar in a lot of ways to like the Lego games. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would definitely say that there's a, you know, a, a, an apt comparison there. But uh, yeah, we're enjoying that a lot because it's, you know, it's a little bit of everything, you know, all in one package. But uh, you know, I'd love to see something like that uh, applied to DC. You know, digging deep into the the mythos of. You know, the, at least the DC that we remember, you know, with uh, with the legacy characters and that sort of thing. But yeah, if if I ever see a DC Lego game that has JSA members, I will lose my freaking mind. Oh yeah. So, well, Logan had a game. Oh, it was for the heck was the name of that scribble knots yeah they had all kinds of stuff in there oh my god yeah he was constantly showing he kept showing me different characters and you know sometimes it would be oh my god dad look what i found and then other times it'd be like do you know who this guy is and then i would geek out i'd be like oh my god that's so and so and nine times out of ten it was somebody from uh either earth 2 or or the justice society and uh yeah i was geeking out over that quite a bit i I never actually played it i just watched him play it but yeah i mean they really dug deep uh for a lot of characters and and some very obscure characters as well so yeah i did think that that was pretty quiet i forgot about that game until you said that well before we get into this uh last time we were Recording, uh, you and I got into a little bit of a conversation about this supposed JSA graphic novel that we've uh, heard yes. tell about. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, uh, I like many people, I'm friends with Jerry Ordway on Facebook, 
Uh, I don't, I don't want to say I'm friends with Jerry Ordway on Facebook to make it seem like I'm all big and bad. No, I'm. There's a lot of people that are friends with Jerry Ordway on Facebook. Yeah, I'm Michael. I'm Michael Bailey, and I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. no. But no, I, I I reached out to him because uh, I've I've interviewed him before and have a, a pretty you know good uh, good back and forth with. And I asked him about you know what 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 basically this is what I wrote him. Quick question for an upcoming episode of Tales of the JSA that I'm going to be recording. My co-host Scott and I are covering America versus the Justice Society. And in our talk about the first two issues, the subject of the supposed JSA graphic novel that you were attached to came up. We were trying to figure out once and for all if there ever was a JSA graphic novel planned, were you going to be part of it, and did that graphic novel end up becoming America versus the JSA? And he responded, if my memory serves, the plan was this. I was moving off All-Star, and Macklin, Roy, and I were developing Infinity Incorporated at the same time. Mike Macklin was going to pencil Infinity with me inking. I was going to draw America versus the JSA. Late in the game, Dick Giordano decided that I should pencil Infinity because they were nervous about launching a direct sales-only series with an unknown proven penciler, uh, Mike. So that effectively took me off the JSA Mini. Macklin was drawing the one fill-in on All-Star Squadron as a warm-up for Infinity and took a little too long, which I believe was the root of Dick's and maybe Roy's worries. Roy and Jerry Conway were co-writing screenplays at the time, and their scripts were also running late. I think I finished All-Star 26 and then Annual Number 2, which I inked while Macklin was drawing the All-Star fill-in, and I still had time to draw the fill-in on All-Star before Infinity Incorporated's script was ready. The America vs. JSA was drawn by Richard Howe in Alcala, and he has a question mark. Uh, uh, it is possible that the graphic novel mentioned in print was that project. I don't recall. I do know that the book that became the JSA's Valhalla story was originally supposed to be in the same graphic novel format DC used for Firestorm and those science fiction ones. Uh, full color and more square shaped. You remember those, Scott? Like that, like Ray Bradbury had one and... Oh, definitely, yeah. Because um, I... Is that the same format where they had like Metal Zoic yeah, exactly. and uh, Hungry mm-hmm. Dogs and all that? Yeah. Now, he said the Firestorm one. That was another question we had. Was there actually a Firestorm graphic novel? Wait just a second on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, not sure if the script for it existed then for the JSA one, or maybe it was a sto- uh, story unspecified in Roy's contract at the time. I know Conroy wrote the Firestorm one in 1983-ish, and, pra- and Pat Broderick drew it while he was sharing a studio with, him- with Jerry in 1984. Uh, so, uh, Roy and Conway had the same lawyers, so they had both had the same perks, and depending on the page count, the JSA Mini, uh, could have been conceived as a standalone graphic novel, but he doesn't think so. I think the other JSA, Valhalla, is likely to have been the graphic novel. So, from what I got from what Jerry told me, because he mentioned a couple other things that, uh, that he asked me not to share, uh, is that, there's your tease, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is that more than likely the graphic novel planned was either one that was separate from everything and it just never got made, or it was the last days of the Justice Society, which we will be covering next year. Right. Uh, So I, I think it's just one of those things, and I know that Firestorm thing never happened either. It was planned, and it was announced in the letters pages. Mm-hmm. But it never got off the ground, and I think that's because Broderick never finished drawing it. If I'm if I'm remembering a separate thing that I read on that, 
correctly. So, um, no, but it's it's cool that that we live in an age where we can we can do this kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm I might, uh, and I know that this is far off of our mandate with this show, but uh, similarly to your your relationship with uh, with Ordway, I, I have sort of a similar one with Broderick. So maybe I'll uh, I'll see if I can. Uh, <clears throat> Bend is here, you know, through Facebook, and see if uh, if he has any insight on that uh, Firestorm one. Because I'm just curious, you know. I always I'm always curious when there's these projects that we heard about, you know, years gone by, and then nothing ever became of them. You know what what happened? You know, and of course, you know things like uh, uh, Avengers versus you know the JLA. You know they become legendary in how they fell apart and never happened. But then there's other ones like you know these that just kind of fall through the cracks and. It's only when you pour back through back issues like we're doing that you go, oh yeah, that's right. You know, whatever happened to that kind of thing? And yeah, I, I'm with you. I love the age that we're living in, where you can now just, you know, with with a couple of keystrokes, you can get in touch with these guys and go, hey, can you give me the story on that? Whereas, you know, before the internet, you know, we, we were just left to just wonder or hope that it popped up in some uh, fan. Or maybe if somewhere. you saw him at a convention, yeah, yeah, that too, yeah. you could ask yeah. him. But but the the only problem with this is and this is this is not me insulting anybody is that sometimes if it's 30 years ago I mean they may not remember and right. that's not um, it's me saying something mean it's just it was 30 years ago and this was their job right exactly so, yeah you know I don't I don't remember what happened at my job 3 weeks ago <laughs> so well that's a defense mechanism though <laughs> that's true but i'm sure that you know with like some of the bigger projects it's easier to like have the memories for but if you but if it's if it's something that had been planned and didn't go through it's easier to kind of file that away as uh what was that oh i don't really remember and it's okay but it's just you're right it's just awesome that uh, in a world where you know everybody's connected and we're all just uh, a couple ones and zeros away from each mm-hmm. other I think that uh, no, I I really think that's awesome. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I I've been trying to make more of an effort lately to point these things out because it's funny. You know, as you know, here we are. The year has just changed. It's now 2015, and I'm sure that this is going to be a trend that is going to continue throughout the year. But you know, we are now living in the year that Marty McFly travels to in Back to the Future 2. And I can't tell you how many stories I've already seen two days into the year. The stories that I've seen saying, oh, you know, look at all this stuff they didn't get right. And, you know, the future's not as fantastic as in that movie. But that's maybe true. But look at all the stuff that, yeah, they didn't predict that we actually have today that makes the future pretty friggin' cool. And that's one of Mm -hmm. them right there is the ability to talk to basically anybody on the planet whenever you want to. That's pretty cool, you know? And, And to be able to reach out to these people that, as you say... In the past, it was either, you know, you got what you got through fanzines or maybe, you know, going to a convention. You know, as a kid who grew up in a very small rural, you know, upstate New York town, I, you know, I didn't have that luxury. I, you know, I, I didn't go to, to big conventions and everything. So you were just kind of stuck. 
now that same kid today, and it doesn't matter where you live, if you have access to the internet and a computer, suddenly you can be in touch with people like that. That I just think that that's really cool. And I think that we've gotten so used to it that we're kind of tunnel vision blind to just how awesome that really is. But anyway, I'll get off the soapbox, but... <laughs> I, I think... Uh... Starting out of the gate in 2015, the one thing I am now looking forward to 2015 being over is, holy crap, I'm sick of the Back to the Future 2 memes. <laughs> like, already I am, I am like, pissed off. Uh, I, I, may, I may pull uh, an Andy Leyland and just kind of only view my own page and wait for people to tag me into stuff to participate in Facebook. <laughs> Oh, the sad thing is, is I, I've, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm until I get really tired of it as well. I'm, I'm gonna kind of be perpetuating it. I have to be honest because that's one of my favorite <laughs> movies. <laughs> I mean, my, my background you right now on, uh, on Facebook is Back to the Future Two related. So, <laughs> I am, I am part of the guilty party. <laughs> Well, as the audience may or may not be able to tell, we are just dying and itching to get into these issues, aren't we? We've, we've talked video games and the future and everything else other than these, uh, these issues. So. Welcome Gotham to the future! <laughs> uh, anyways, we are, uh, I, I guess I'm starting us off this, uh, this time out with America! Versus the Justice Society number three. It's a four-part miniseries, as the cover tells us. Uh, Cover-to-cover thrills. The Wizard goes to war. And we have this really nice cover with Adolf Hitler in the background in a two-tone, like, uh, red and yellow type, uh, like, a lot of cross-hatching and stuff. With the Wizard standing, uh, wearing some very pointy shoes. (laughs) Uh, Standing with arms akimbo... As Wonder Woman, Wildcat, The Flash, Black Canary, Doctor Fate, and Hawkman come running towards him, this is obviously a Jerry Ordway cover, uh, and is the best piece of art in the entire issue. He needs to watch that cane, though. He's going to poke uh, Uncle Adolf right in the eye. <laughs> I don't think there's very few people that are going to cry about that, and those people <laughs> we don't want listening to this show. So, uh, what do you think of the cover? Before we get into this, I like it. Um... Does Adolf look a little fat in the face, though? He's he's kind of beefy. <laughs> Maybe we could do a whole like like do our version of like those videos where someone tells Adolf Hitler something. It's like somebody comes up and he's just like, "Well, it's okay because Jerry Ordway's drawing me, uh, Sir <laughs> Jerry Ordway." On the cover of America versus the J- Justice Society number three, Drew is a little fat. <laughs> Everybody get off. out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> I love those things. I really do. I can't stop watching them. Well, they're, 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 I don't want I've to watched offend anybody. For the most ridiculous things too. I don't want to offend anybody, uh, especially our international listeners. But there is something amusing to me just on a general level about someone yelling in German. I don't know what it is. I was not <laughs> sure where you were going with that for a second. You had me a little worried. <laughs> no, I just just somebody yelling in German just. I mean, it just it just strikes me, especially like those videos. They're just it just makes me laugh. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, my other two thoughts, because I, I actually had some notes on the cover here. Um, the Flash looks great, but he looks really young. 
Um, Wonder Woman looks like Lucille Ball. And why the hell is Black Canary on this cover? Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Unless this is supposed to be like in the past. Oh, okay. That that actually makes sense. Because everybody looks a little young. Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Woman has her headband thing That's, going on like yeah. she did in the Golden Age. So... I'm sure this is just a representation of them battling the wizard in the I past. Gotcha. So. Okay, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Which makes sense as my dog moves around and screws up my microphone. Thank you, Gracie. <laughs> uh, what was your other thought? Uh, no, that was it. Oh, I thought you said you had two. I apologize. This duh. has a March I'm 1980... Sorry. What? <laughs> I said, duh. <laughs> my this other has... thought. Uh, I... I... <laughs> I'm glad we stopped for that. The... <laughs> Scott's thoughts on this. Duh! <laughs> this has a March 1985 cover date, a dollar cover price. Uh, it was released a little over 30 years ago on December 27th, 1984. Wow. Mm. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Holding a, a comic that's 30 years old is now depressing, whereas when I was a kid, it was exciting. Right. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Uh, the story title, if I didn't miss, mention, is Hostile Witness. Uh, it's part uh, part two. Did it say part? It actually says part two of the JSA's most important case. Oh, it does, doesn't it? That's huh. because the first issue... Wait, no, that doesn't make sense. No, yeah. I was going to say the first issue was supposed to be two parts. So this should actually be like part... Three, four. but three or four? Wait, yes. four, yeah, because this is the third. Yeah, well, I'm confused. <laughs> Roy <laughs> Thomas, writer and editor, Howard Bender and Alfredo Alcala, illustrators, Dan Thomas, co plotter, Carl Gafford, colorist, Cody is the letterer, and Rich Morrissey is the consultant. Wonder Woman kicks off the issue with this colorful introduction Take a young boy, lonely friendless his head filled with vivid images of great heroes and villains of yore and you've pretty much just described scott and i's youth (laughs) give him somehow miraculously the ability to focus his thoughts in three dimensions so that they can touch feel even kill which is probably a good idea that scott and i did not have that ability when we were teenagers (laughs) And you have the man who, years later, the world would know first as Henry King, psychiatrist, then later as the brainwave. Definitely the kind of man who gave the ter- gave terms like intellectual and egghead their negative connotations. And I'm just going to put this on hold and say, how's being an intellectual a negative thing? But anyways. How, how can egghead have anything but a negative yeah. connotation? <laughs> Ah, Wonder Woman, you're confusing the crap out of us already. Uh, Senator Hopkins asks the crowd to quit snickering as this is a joint hearing of the United States Congress and not a circus. And, man, you really just can't tell the difference on a normal day, much less when the JSA is in town. Wonder Woman (laughs) apologizes. Political commentary by Michael Bailey. Notice (laughs) that it's completely bipartisan. Uh, Wonder Woman apologizes but adds that the proceedings could use a bit of levity because if the JSA doesn't disprove the allegations in Batman's journal, the team is finished. She continues to tell about their encounter with Brainwave, adding the fact that all of the male members of the team were kidnapped, leading their girlfriends to cosplay in their costumes and join Wonder Woman on a rescue mission. 
They thought Brainwave dead, and Diana recounts the next mission of the JSA, one where they stopped Axis agents from from turning race against race and employer against employer. And I'm telling you right now, the Axis really didn't need a whole lot of uh, encouragement on that to, to, <laughs> to get that going. Brainwave returned and reduced the members of the JSA to action figure size, but thanks to Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt, notice I didn't say Johnny Thunder, that adventure went down in the win column for the team. Senator Hopkins asks them to explain what happened with the whole Justice Battalion thing, and what about the number of superheroes, including Uncle Sam, Phantom Lady, the Red Bee, someone's actually asking about the Red Bee, uh, Black Condor, and the Ray that disappeared around 1942. Hawkman takes the stand to clear, to clear up those mysteries. The battalion was disbanded because apparently of brand misidentification. Apparently the American people were confused by the double name, so with the War Department's permission, they dropped it. Hawkman does what every who's who entry for a member of the Freedom Fighter, Fighters did, much to Shag's consternation, and explained the whole Earth-X thing to, where they went over to fight the Nazis who won World War II in that reality. This seems to turn the crowd momentarily against the JSA, and a disbelieving Hopkins asks where the Freedom Fighters are now. Hawkman has to sheepishly admit that they're on, get this, a third Earth. Hopkins doesn't buy it, but Congresswoman Valdez is willing to entertain the notion, given everything they've seen during the course of their hearings, and I want to give Roy Thomas a special award right now for having one person in a comic book story hear something completely ludicrous and go, you know, given everything else I've seen today, this seems kind of normal. Yep. Thank you, Roy Thomas. Yes. Hawkman continues the greatest hits of the JSA by recounting their battles with King Bee, the Mad Maestro, and the Monster, who weren't fascists or Nazis, but still evil men. Hopkins has a hissy fit at this point and reminds everyone that the point of these proceedings was to prove or disprove the accusations made by Batman in his diary, which leads to a reminder that Batman has accused the JSA of treason from beyond the grave. Despite protests from his teammates over health concerns, Sandman makes an impassioned speech on the team's behalf. We get a quick scene with Mr. O'Fallon, son of the congressman that called out the JSA in the 50s, who is excited over the surprise witness they have in store. You mean Morgan Edge? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He does look like Morgan Edge. A shadowy figure announces uh, to us that if the hearings don't destroy the JSA, he will. Back at the trial, Starman explains what the team was doing in 1944 and goes over the missions where they helped a man pass away uh, without regretting his past get a lesson in tolerance from the living incarnation of human conscience and their battle with the original psycho pirate. And I keep forgetting that the original psycho pirate looked goofier than the second (laughs) psycho pirate. Dude's got a handlebar mustache that like puts that guy from the village people to shame. We then learn reminds me of there was those little cartoons that were often on the inside front page of, um, Oh, what was the Marvel? It was kind of like the Marvel tryout book, but it was also like where they'd get rid fanfare? of a lot of... Hmm? Marvel fanfare? Fanfare, yes. Who was that? Who was the editor on that? Was that Mark... Gr- no, not Mark Grunewald, was it? I but think he so. Looked sim- he looked similar on the... You know what I'm talking about? Those. Yeah, I, th- I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Am I crazy or does that look similar? A little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, we learned that what happened to Sandman, he had a heart attack and had to take it easy. The Atom, he got married. Starman, who also got married but eventually became a widower. Widower than what? Which is an obscure movie reference. 
And even the Spectre, whose human host was allowed to join the military. A recess is called for after that moving testimony, and we see Dick Grayson... That was more snarky than I thought it really meant to come out, <laughs> I promise. Um, and we see Dick Grayson and Helena Wayne have another confrontation over Batman's diary, because Dick is defending Batman, and Helena is saying something's wrong here, and they're both arguing over it. After a brief scene showing the JSA talking about the hearings, they are called back in, and Wildcat continues the team's history, starting with the time they held to conscientious objector see the war, see that the war was worth fighting for. Hopkins calls shenanigans on this, and Wildcat continues with the case of the Forgotten Crime, their battle with the metal-eating robots from outer space, the death of FDR, which wasn't so much a case as an event, a case showing that handicapped people still have a place in the world, which was even mentioned in the World Book so everyone can look it up, unlike most of the other things where we just really have to take the JSA's word for it. Everyone's favorite jsa steps up to the mic, and Johnny Thunder goes over the next series of cases, which includes the paintings that walked the earth, the battle with Landor, the man from the future that wanted to start a ruckus, and at first I thought the battle, it was like the battle with Lando. They went to Cloud City? <laughs> that would have been awesome. What have we here? <laughs> oh yeah, Lando would have been all over Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> and then... They open up to go to dinner and Hitler's at the table. (laughs) And they shoot at him and he puts his hand up. I want to see this movie now. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I I did not mean to derail us like that. Uh, And... And another fight with Brainwave to continue. After several other cases, the committee's surprise witness finally arrives. The Wizard. After some general bitching and moaning about him being there, the wizard recounts his origin. He learned magic arts to commit crimes. That's it. And how he was the one that gave Hitler the Spear of Destiny, though the U.S. and Germany were not at war at the time, so it's totally not treason. The Flash calls BS on the wizard's claim that the JSA were in league with Hitler, but has to let the villain explain that he pretty much sat the war out and resumed his criminal career in 1947. He seemed to die at one point, but that was merely an illusion. The wizard takes his seat, and Wonder Woman tells about how Per Dagaton, lab assistant to Professor Z, used Z's time machine to conquer the world through time, but the JSA managed to defeat him. She then recounts the various times Per Dagaton struck again, all of which were All-Star Squadron missions, and all of which she shouldn't be able to f***ing remember. Yes, thank you. That made me nuts in this. I mean, really, really crazy in this. Every, at the end of all those stories. What? Huh? Huh? It's like, it's like they woke up after a bender. And couldn't quite remember what happened that le- weekend. And why is Wildcat wearing Wonder Woman's outfit? There's another movie I think we'd all like to see. The history <laughs> the history continues into 1947, where the team fought a band of villains organized by the Wizard, an obscure, uh, an obscure guard in a wax museum that took on the personality traits of the world's greatest villains, and an adventure in Fairyland after which the team was heartbroken, crushed, I tell you, that Johnny Thunder had to retire. No, Johnny, seriously, we're, we're really sad. We're really sad. Has anyone cleaned out his office yet? I get the stapler. Black Canary joined the team just in time to fight with the wizard again as GL, as well as GL's old villain, the Harlequin. Around this time, the wizard is supposed to be taken back into custody, but he tries to escape and proves how ineffectual he is by getting stopped cold by Dr. Fate. 
This leads Valdez and the other committee member to, to have reservations about the whole affair. But Hopkins insists that the hearings will continue, and they are adjourned for the day. As things wrap up, we find out that the shadowy figure that has been watching the proceedings is none other than Per Degaton. And if he has anything to say about it, this time tomorrow, the JSA will be no more. Like tears in the... No, wait, wait, wait. wait. Like the... (laughs) They will fall like the last leaf of autumn. Like sands in the hourglass. (laughs) So are the days of the JSA. (laughs) And that's the end of the issue. Holy crap. You know, right, you know, to peel back the curtain, which Scott and I do often, but not so much about writing the synopsis, which we uh, we try to do in all of our shows. This one was a rough one to write. I think Scott will agree with me on this because a yes. lot of it was, and then this happened, and then, and then this, this happened, happened, and then, and then happened, this happened, and then this happened too. And it's like, oh, and, and, and I think as a self-defense mechanism, like if something's really bad's happening to you, you're, you're suddenly like remembering how you were like skipping in the, in the, in the fields with the flowers and the bunnies and all that. <laughs> I, I, I think that's where the snark comes from. Really? That, that to kind of like... <laughs> It's not that I didn't enjoy reading it because I really put myself in a different mindset with these two issues coming from last issue, the last episode. I was trying to put myself in the position of somebody in 1984 who really loved the JSA and would love to read a history about them. But still, when you have to write the synopsis, it's just like, oh god, then they fought this guy, and then they fought this guy, and then they fought this guy. And then some some shenanigans happens in the courtroom. And then, okay, we're back into it. And And it's... I I just want for those who were like Mike, you were really really snarky in that. I do apologize, but it was really a self defense mechanism. <laughs> so, don't apologize. <laughs> it's not All a tuma. Right. I'm sorry. It's not a tuma. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got notes here from the All Star Companion of Volume Two regarding this issue says here, again, many of the events related by the JSAers and other witnesses are called from the 1940 through 1951 All-Star comics from number 15 through number 41, as well as from the 1970s JSA revival, All-Star Squadron, and etc. Mention is made that occasionally, both in the 1940s and since, Wes Sandman Dodd's surname had been written as Dodd, with no S on the end of it. Scenes from the uh, solo exploits of several JSAers are depicted, reflecting in particular what happened to Starman, Sandman, Spectre, and Dr. Fate when their individual series were dropped in the mid-1940s from Adventure Comics and More Fun Comics. Some of the later changes in their solo stories were not reflected in their appearance in All-Star. In various issues of the late 1970s uh, resurrected All-Star comics, Police Commissioner Bruce Wayne had, under the influence of the Psycho Pirate, become an uh, adamant anti-JSA force in Gotham City. Though it perhaps wasn't made clear enough, Bruce was subconsciously resisting the villain's spell when he concocted the convoluted notion of the Batman Diary to energize the JSA. Yes, I will be pointing this out after the synopsis of the next issue. Yeah. Uh, I want to read that again. Uh right here perhaps it wasn't made clear enough (laughs) yes perhaps it was not (laughs) as per chapter six of this volume there seem to have been uh, from one to four never published jsa stories 
However, none of these, including the will of William Wilson, were uh, was covered in America versus the Justice Society. Had Roy Thomas purchased much of the art from it, uh, from the late Mark Hennerfeld, uh, a bit earlier, it no doubt would have been reflected in this story arc. Hmm, that's interesting. So essentially he's saying if he had gotten his hands on these unpublished stories earlier, he would have incorporated them into this. Yeah, and those are really one of the main reasons to buy these All-Star Companions, because especially in the first volume, they go through a lot of the never-published and some of the weirder publishing uh, stories about the team as well. So Mm -hmm. I I cannot reflect them enough. They're pretty cheap through Amazon, and I, I have it on authority that you can go to the Two True Freaks site. Uh, and click on the Amazon link. Yes, please. And, and buy stuff, because uh, it actually supports this show. Yes, it does. The Wizard Finding the Spear of Destiny for Hitler is a new element of retroactive history uh, added in this series, as is the revelation that the true uh, that his true name was William Asmodeus Zard. Yeah, Wizard. Uh, he used the name W.I. Zard in... All-Star number 34. I hate it when comics do this. (laughs) But it was never certain whether it was his true name or just a pseudonym. So that was really his name. His his name is Edward Nygma. Yeah. Ah, Yeah. (laughs) The back cover of this issue is a recreation uh, by Al Dalinguez of the cover of All-Star Comics number 5, which Roy Thomas and others suspect was originally prepared to be... Uh, that of issue number three before the Justice uh, Justice Society concept was devised. And what is the back? Oh, yeah. Okay. Man, it's a That's pretty cover. It's got, you know, Green Lantern and Flash looks a little stiff. Yeah. Uh, his arm, at least. It's it's a little off. And I like that Spectre is using his Spectre vision. <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen him use that power before. <laughs> so. <laughs> what does it do? Is it like heat vision? Is it like Flash frying that guy's face? Or. It could be anything. It's the Spectre. He he's he's kind of malevolent when he enacts his vengeance on people. So, <laughs> well, that's it for the uh, for the companion. Um, who wants to go first? On uh, you want to go on your notes? Or yeah, because I, I really don't have all that many. All right, in, yeah, go ahead. In all honesty, uh, the art kind of takes a downturn in this issue. I don't know if because Howard Bender's not a. Uh, a bad artist and Alfredo Alcala is definitely a good inker, but it just seems, I think maybe it was rushed because it kind of has that feeling to it. Like some pages are like the two page spread uh, on pages two and three is actually pretty cool. You've got like this black and white painting in the background of George Washington uh, sitting there listening to somebody and he's really bored. Uh, (laughs) At least I get that from the painting and there's a, there's a there's ceiling fans hanging down and the 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 ominous image of Batman hanging over the proceedings, you know, as as basically as the point of the story. But then, you know, like kind of like on the on the on page five, Hawkman looks a little off. Yeah. Uh, so and <laughs> I laughed on page four though, at the panel showing the. Uh, brainwave falling and having his little smock uh caught on that uh that ledge and it's just like that's really it just kind of reminds you that his costume is just goofy in general 
Uh, I suspect that the reason that the girls didn't save him when he fell is that he's actually going commando underneath that smock, and they didn't want no part of that. (laughs) They were like, ah, no. (laughs) And then uh, two panels later on page uh, page four, he's playing with a couple marital aides. So... The, um, uh, God, there's just not, I really struggled with notes on this because it's just like, again, as we said, it's like, and then this happened and then this happened. And it was kind of cool on a certain level to see the JSA's adventures condensed into like one, you know, one single, you know, storyline where you're getting everything. And I will have to say in issues three and four, they broke it up a little better uh, by like on page uh, page eight, where we get a neat little reminder uh, of what the plot is, basically that Batman has accused the JSA of treason, that they were actually working with Hitler during World War II, and apparently Batman custom makes his own bookmarks uh, <laughs> because at the bottom of page eight, there's a little bat like ribbon in the book, and that's actually kind of cool. Uh, page nine. Um, this is just an artistic thing. If you are trying to convince a bunch of people that your protagonists are not Nazis, do not have a Nazi-like salute or what looks like on the bottom of page nine, a Nazi-like salute uh, in your artwork. That's just though, though it's funny, on the bottom of page nine, uh, it looks like both Dr. Midnight and Superman have fallen asleep. <laughs> I, I had the same note. <laughs> Like, like they just nodded off. They're just kind of bored with it. Um, well, my note, my note was not only does Superman look like Tony Randall, but he's asleep from page three to through page nine. Because just about every time you see Superman on between those pages, his eyes are closed. While I am not uh, too keen on the art in this issue, page eleven with that first panel of the of uh, you know, Perdigaton, not. You know, it's revealing it, but we're going to be talking about it in about 20 minutes anyways. Uh, Per Degaton pulling an Elvis and punching his TV out. Uh, (laughs) Plus, Starman looks pretty badass on the bottom of that page, too. Mm -hmm. uh, With with his uh, flashback. And I do like the artistic effect of the years going backwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. The two-page spread showing what happens to Dr. Fate, and uh, which I didn't mention... Uh, and the Atom and Sandman and Spectre was kind of cool too. I, I, I liked that. I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the with Sandman just having a heart attack at a young age and giving up crime fighting. Uh, and maybe that's because, and I haven't read them yet, but I managed to score in the 50 cent bins an entire run of Sandman Mystery Theater. Uh, oh, wow. And at some point I really, I'm looking forward to going through that. So maybe it's just because... I'm I'm confusing future continuity with this, where at this point it was probably A-OK that the Sandman was out of commission. Uh, page 15, the the art here with the Huntress's face on one side and Robin's face on the other as they're arguing in the middle was actually very well done. Uh, mm-hmm. I was very impressed with that. The going a little further, uh, Wildcat looks a little weird on page 18. I really wish they would make up their mind if these characters are going to have eyes or white pupils. Uh, mm-hmm. Though on page <laughs> page 18, that little head and bow tie of FDR looks a little out of place in, in the image. But uh, maybe it's just the bow tie that's throwing me off. 
the uh, the wizard appears, and this is this is the part where I just kind of I started calling more shenanigans on the story in general because I understand from a dramatic standpoint that having the wizard show up and testify against them is just that it's dramatic. But my problem is, is that basically what we're supposed to believe is that members of Congress would basically call a convicted felon up to give testimony against men that have been considered heroes. Now, on one hand, that that kind of makes sense, but on the and and on the other, we could make a joke about congressmen themselves just being villains in general. But we're not going to do that. <laughs> but it's just. The scene was dramatic, but I do like that tw- at the end of the scene, the other two, besides Hopkins, the other two committee members are like, uh, why are we here? Because this all seems kind of silly. Is it me, or on page 23, does Hitler look like Charles Bronson in the panel where the wizard hands him the uh, the Spear of Destiny? <laughs> yes, he does. Uh. <laughs> the layout of the previous page with the wizard's uh with the wizard's origin is actually pretty cool as well. The uh going through the whole Paradigaton thing, uh, we got to show that one panel of him waking up and Professor Z being a complete ass to him every single time we mentioned Paradigaton. <laughs> but and I mentioned it in in the synopsis, why does Wonder Woman remember all of this? <sighs> why? It, I mean, it doesn't even say that she saw it later on her like little magic. That's, yeah, that's the exact thing I was gonna say. Is that this entire sequence could have really been helped and even saved. I'll go so far as to say saved by just a mention that. Oh, by the way, we learned this by playing around with her whatever that thing is called, that Amazonian yeah. you know thing that she looks through. But nothing. There's no explanation at all. And so for continuity wonks like us, it just makes me nuts because it's almost like... And then the memories came back. No, they didn't, bitch. It never happened. It may, This makes me crazy. If it was a different writer, you could almost say, you know, give it a pass. But this is the guy that wrote those stories or co-wrote exactly. those stories. Mm-hmm. Now... I understand for the purposes of the story he's trying to tell, he's trying to say, you know, he's trying to give the full history, so he's mentioning things that happen. But you could have had Per Degaton do that in the fourth issue. Right. And have it mentioned that they don't remember it, but I do. And that would have saved it. But as it stands, it was like the one, it was, it was the, the part of the story that I was like really taken out of. The entire event. Uh, page 31. I like on an artistic level that Bender is showing the desperation of Hopkins as he sits there and rants. No, I will accept the resignations of my fellow committee members if I must, but these hearings will continue. Like, there's something else going on here. And I like that, uh, unlike other stories like this where... The people, you know, like, there's the one bad guy, and then there's the two people that are on the committee just because they have to be there, and they come to the conclusion that their fellow person is up to no good, like, at the very end of the story. Here, I like that Thomas, you know, we were just hitting him pretty hard, but here I like that Thomas is having it before the finale, them going, there's something up here. 
And, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like they say, Senator Hopkins, under the circumstances, I wonder if we ought to seriously consider Zard's testimony or... <laughs> I'm sorry, when he says Zard, I put a T in it instead of a Z. Um, <laughs> or even continue these hearings. And the and the woman goes, I concur. The one person who has stepped forward to corroborate anything in the alleged Batman diary has now added to his previous infamy by trying to use us as an opportunity for a jailbreak. And it's just like, thank you for somebody that's on the committee, not like going, you know, we're JSA fans, rah, 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 but just going, you know, there's something there's something screwy here. And to see his des- to see Hopkins' desperation on that was actually really cool. And it's like one of those things that right here at the end it almost makes up for everything. And then on the last page, uh, it's finally revealed that Per Degaton, who has not looked the same from panel to panel uh, throughout the entire comic, um, to his whole last leaf of autumn thing. Uh, before you know, we get the you know the 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 conclusion thing. You know, concluding to the epoch spanning saga, verdict and vengeance. So, overall, by this point, I'm kind of used to what's going on. So it's not like the first two issues where I had to like get into the groove of it. There were some wonky things, but overall, it wasn't it wasn't a bad reading experience. It just took so damn long to get through this issue. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I don't have a whole lot of notes on this. I'm going to try to go quickly because I, I ended up just concurring with a lot of your notes, to be honest with you. Um, page three, the, uh, the two page splash here, but on specifically on page three, the uh, right hand side of the two page splash, the flash is an ape. <laughs> is that not, he's got some serious monkey face going on right there. A Something's bit. just weird going on. <laughs> Uh, let's see. He's wearing a monkey costume because that's his his commentary on the entire proceedings. Page four, panel six. Ow. Yeah. That would hurt. <laughs> let's see. Page six, panel one. Yes, I just my note for this is cool. I just like this panel. It's uh, it's where Hawkman's telling about uh, Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters going off to Earth X. It's just a great panel. I always love it when uh, Uncle Sam is shown rolling his sleeves up, you know, balling his fist. Somebody's about to get an ass whooping. I really like that. It looks really cool. Um, now, projecting a bit of, of future comics onto my rereading of this one... Page seven is when where this really stood out to me, although it stood out again in that two page splash on pages two and three as well as as well as I think this happened in a prior issue of this series. But take a look at page seven, that last panel. Now, over time in comics, particularly like, say, like Star Wars or Star Trek comics, an image like this done entirely in blue ink has become shorthand for holograms. Yes. And so seeing this here where it's, it's the Senator holding open the Batman diary and, and saying something about, you know, remember what this is all about. You know, Batman accused him of treason, blah, blah, blah. You've got this floaty head, all blue ink of Batman. But like I say, this has become these days shorthand for holograms. So when I see this, it's a little jarring. It almost looks like he's opening the book and a Batman hologram pops out like a pop-up book. It just looks a little bit weird. Um, page 10. Yeah, this one was really strange. Okay, so so Sandman stands up, gives a very impassioned speech that literally only lasts two panels. 
and then says, I think I'd better sit down if you don't mind. And everybody's all concerned. I'm thinking if he's really that weak, would he even be here or should he even be here? I mean, he just barely stands up, says a couple of word balloons worth of stuff. And then (laughs) he's like, I got to sit down. All right. And it's funny that until JSA, the 1999 series, uh, Sandman seemed to be always the one member of the JSA that everyone was just like, oh yeah, he had a heart attack. He had a stroke. Right. <laughs> he, he's he got hemorrhoids. We, uh, <laughs> he, he really couldn't be here today. <laughs> I liked on page 13 that we learn a little bit more about Starman and he specifically mentions having gotten married and then the fact that his wife dies. But he says here that she died a couple of decades back. So maybe I'm projecting future continuity here, but eventually we meet his children, Jack and David, mm-hmm. and they're not that old. I mean, they're they're in what you would say, like they're mid mid, possibly even late twenties. So well, well, that's the weird thing about and why the JSA really, in in terms of telling stories about Jay Garrick kicking around in 2015 really starts to get a little more complicated because what James Robinson and all of them are having us believe is that they had all of these adventures and then settled down basically in the 70s to start having a family. Right. Because Starman is like the age of our grandfather. Right? Our mm-hmm. grandfathers. Right. And Jack Knight... Uh, you know, when he first appeared in 1994, he was only like a couple, like six or seven years old. He was like your age, essentially, like in right. his early 20s. So all of the timeline starts getting really wonky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it's like one of those things where as much as I love this team and as much as I would love to see like a book of somebody telling like World War II adventures of the JSA or like making like a real official timeline showing their adventures in the 50s and stuff. You can't have their children operating with contemporary heroes because everything starts getting confused. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you feel the same way or not. Well, I do because it, it, there's a certain sense of them using kind of the Marvel method of the elastic sliding timeline. But the problem is when you have characters that are rooted in, you know, their origins are rooted in a particular event like World War II, suddenly you have grounded them in the timeline, if you know what I mean. You, you've stuck a stake in the timeline and said, no, this is the definite start of this character. And when you do that, then, as you say, you know, you get into where we are today, into the 2000s, then it starts to get pretty wonky because you've got guys that are in their 80s, 90s, whatever... You know, actually, if you if you consider the fact that a, a lot of these characters were supposed to be in their twenties or even thirties in nineteen, say nineteen forty, you've got guys that are pushing a hundred years old at this point out there running around doing super feats, and it yeah, it starts to strain. And I think this is why there had been so many attempts post crisis to kind of retire the JSA is because somebody out there felt like they were kind of pushing it. You know, they were pushing credibility at this point. Um, and I'm not sure what the answer to that would be. Like, you know, say somebody like Captain America, definitely he's rooted in 
World War II. But then Captain America has this great thing where he gets to skip decades because of being frozen in ice and everything. And every few years, you just kind of move that thaw closer to modern day. So originally it was in the 60s and then it was eventually in the 80s and now it was like a couple of years ago. You can't do that with the JSA. There's there's nowhere that they skipped. So they, they have been in existence from, you know, World War II to the present day. And how do you make that work? You know, so I, I can see the dilemma that they've got with all of that. And I'm not really sure what the answer is. I mean, honestly, probably the answer is that you slowly start to retire slash bump them off and replace them. And I think they tried that. I think that in a, in a certain sense, I think that's what Infinity Inc. was meant to do. Yeah. Especially when they started to introduce, as we will eventually see, they began to introduce new incarnations of existing JSAers. But it didn't really take in a lot of instances, not until the la- the latter, you know, post-crisis like JSA and Justice Society, did you get new incarnations that I think that the fans embraced as much as they embraced the original ones. And then still, you would get instances where, no, you know, we just want the original guy back. And so they would find some creative way to bring back the original guy. You know what I mean? Well, so, even even with the Infinity Incorporated characters, it's a little weird. Because what you're basically suggesting is that these 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 kids are in their early 20s. So let's assume by 1984, when the series began... That they're all like 22, 23 years old. Mm-hmm. That means they the, that the JSAers didn't start having kids until the 60s. Right. And that's a little strange. Because you figure, yeah, some of them got a late start in, in, in families and all that. But they all retired in like 1951. So theoretically, these kids should have been in their early 30s. If they're starting so here's... To, to bump uglies, you know, like around that time. <laughs> Well, here's an interesting idea then, you know, and again, it, it's one of these things that it's, you know, it, it's one of these great missed opportunities that we'll probably never get a chance to explore. But what if there were children of the JSA that we never got to meet? Mm-hmm. You know, say some of them actually did have kids in the 50s in that in that that period that was never really explored all that much. You know, because basically now, now I'm sure that there are stories that exist out there. This this is admittedly one of my blind spots in pre-crisis DC is that that interim period between say like the end of the Golden Age and their revival in the 70s when All Star Comics came back. Is what were they doing in that interim period? Now I know that there's a what was it an eight issue miniseries that takes place in the fifties that we'll look at eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the it was the one that came out in ninety one, about a year before the Straczynski Parabex. Right, right, yeah, and so maybe that will address some of that stuff. I don't know. I, I haven't read it myself, but I to me there that was one of those great unexplored periods, especially post crisis. You know where where you know all of this continuity now takes place in, in the same, you know the same timeline, is okay. You've got the JSA that suddenly quits, in what year was that? It was fifty something, fifty one, right? and so they quit in fifty one, and then you've got the the new age of heroes that starts with Superman essentially in the eighties. So in that gap, 
what happened? What was going on? And that's that period that I really always wanted to see them explore more because with your shifting time scale again, where Superman, you know, every so often they would stop mentioning, you know, that he was created, you know, that he came to be in such and such time and it became more and more closer to today, that gap would widen. That gap between the time that the JSA quit and the new age of heroes began gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I always thought that it'd be great to explore that era more. What were these heroes doing in that time? Because it's not like they died. They just stopped being active as a team. But a lot of them continued to operate. And so I wanted to see stories about more or less like real life things that had happened in our history in the 50s and the 60s and even in the 70s incorporating these heroes. I mean, did they just... You know, did they just sit on their hands through the Cuban Missile Crisis? Or, you know, when Apollo 13 was in danger, why didn't Green Lantern fly out and rescue them? You know, things like that. And I know that there were little dribs and drabs of that. There was a a Martian Manhunter thing with the, what was it, the Justice... Experiment or something like that? Yeah, something like that, you know. But more of that sort of thing. You know, what, what were they doing? What happened with them? And uh, and I don't know that we really ever got all that much, but I think that there's definitely there was potential there for other children. I mean, how cool would it have been to to do a story where one of the JSAers had uh, a child in the fifties that we never learned of them because they grew up and they were a bad guy, you know, and they then they ended up badly, and so they were ashamed of them or, or something. Or, or on a darker note, what if it was like one of the children of uh, thalidomide, or you know. What if they died of uh, some childhood illness that in later years there would be, you know, uh, a vaccination for? Right, I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that's a little dark, but at least it explains why the kids in Infinity Incorporated are kicking around in the 60s and what happened before that. Right, yeah, exactly. That was a weird uh, tangent, but... <laughs> it's a good one, though. Oh, yes, Absolutely. Let's see what else I got here. Uh, I want to echo your sentiments. You totally stole all my notes for page 15, so I'm just going to echo your sentiments. I think page 15 is the best page in the entire book. Mm-hmm. I, I just I love the layout. I liked the Huntress on the on the left, Robin on the right, and then you've got all the panels that actually you know relay the action in the middle. Batman looks fantastic. Um, this is just a really well-laid-out page, and it's a really good sequence of the book, the battle between essentially siblings over what's going on here this this to me was the crux of the series and it, and it's funny because you know dick was raised by bruce and i don't want to take that away from him but at the same time you know helena is his actual daughter right so it always seems you know like like he's you know like trying to pull the well i guess i love batman more than you card and it's just like, you know, he brought me up. It's just like, dude, I'm like biologically related to this guy. How do you, you know? And in the end, to me, and, and they kind of get into this a little in the next issue. You know, Helena is doing what Batman would have done in this situation. Mm-hmm. He, she is exploring all the options. Dick is the knee-jerk, like, no, it, can't, it, it has to be true because Batman said it. And I think he, even even Batman would be... I hate to speak for him because he's a fictional character one and I don't know him personally too. Uh, 
you know, it, it would be that, you know, we got to explore all the options of this. We have to explore this as, as if it was an investigation and not make assumptions at the beginning. But no, it's, it's, it's a good bit of drama for the story itself. It's like something that we can actually sink our teeth into it, in exactly. terms of reading it. Exactly. Yeah, that that was what kind of saved the story for me was this dynamic between these two, because I actually liked it being portrayed that way, that, yes, she may be uh, the Batman's actual biological child, but a lot of what I'm feeling from from Dick Grayson in this is almost the the and, you know, the whole uh, well, I had him first type of thing, you know, so he feels closer to batman because he was there first he's older and he was his partner you know he was his mentor and everything so i really like that dynamic i think that's the one part of the story if there is one part that really really works that's the part is this struggle between these two characters and as we see in the next issue that does become kind of the front and center uh element uh, at least of the resolution of the story and i really like that mm-hmm I love uh, page 16, first panel, or pretty much the whole page, really. The, there's a break. They're, uh, you know, they, they take a break in the, uh, in the trial or whatever you want to call it, the hearing. And the first panel, you've got the JSA is all gathered around uh, this table, and many of them are playing cards. I just want to point out that uh, Dr. Midnight's actually just holding the cards for Hawkman. <laughs> They let him drive a car. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a flying car. Oh my lord! Oh, one of the first WTF moments we had on this show. <laughs> Superman just can't be bothered. By the way, yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna stare at the curtains because it's more interesting than any of you. <laughs> when was the last time they dusted in here? Anyway, <laughs> page seventeen. I just want to point out that Mr. Drific is going, oh, we're the boys of Chorus. We hope you like the show. <laughs> Doesn't it look like he's doing a little, like, dancing jig yes. number there? <laughs> yeah, exit stage right. Oh, uh, Wildcat on the page 18 looks more like an aardvark than a cat. I, what the hell is up with that? Those ears looks... are all kinds of screwed up. Yeah. Now, I know that we're only roughly about halfway through the book. I have a confession to make. Um, this is where I started to seriously zone out at this point. I mean, big time. Well, Johnny at Thunder's this... next, so I don't blame well, you. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I just, you know, I, I got to just be perfectly honest. I, I was finding this to be a serious slog. You know, there's a reason why. I don't dig golden age stories. And from this point on this issue just really points all of those reasons out because the stories are just silly. I mean, they've got them fighting paintings come to life and these ridiculous looking, you know, like on page 19, the villains that are shown above their heads there where they're strapped to the table they all look like something out of that uh, that Daffy Duck cartoon where he's fighting made up uh, Dick Tracy villains or something. You've got like you know Blockhead and the Lone Ranger as a centaur, and it's it's just really strange. To, I just you know I I know that there are people. I mean, obviously Roy Thomas is one of them that are seriously enamored of this stuff, but 
it, it's you know, a generational were, thing. I mean, these I, were World War II stories. You know, they should have been fighting Nazis and trying to stop. Well, Adolf no, by and, this point, we're out of World War II. Oh, well, that's true too. I mean, and, and and that's more of a commentary on superhero, the superhero genre after World War II than anything else. Is that it was silly because thing, you know, one, the genre was winding down until it's got its resurgence again in 1956 with the Flash, right? But also, there was more of a crackdown on the content of the of the comics as right, well. Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's not taking away of anything you're saying because you like what you like. And there's also the fact that it's a generational thing where things we love in comics, you know, kids today would look back on and go, God, why are they talking so much? Where we're like, right. why, why aren't your books talking enough? I mean, so right. you have that. But no, I, I, I agree with you that... Except for very few cases, and it, and it really has to do with the character, like Superman, I am more willing to slog through a Golden Age story and find stuff, and Batman the same way, right? Uh, and even the Green Lan- the Golden Age Flash and Green Lantern. But some of these, like you, you read them, and it's just like, is this over yet? Can, exactly. Can, can can we get on, well, please? <laughs> a part of it is that you know here you have you know. This awesome team. I mean, the JSA is, you know, make no mistake, this is my favorite superhero team. You've got this great collection of heroes. And a lot of these stories, they're they're fighting so far below their weight class. You know, they're they're stopping ridiculous some in some instances you you struggle to find the threat of this <laughs> villain that they're going up against. The JSA you know? versus the three card Monty game. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And it's it's like what? Plus I kept waiting for somebody on the committee to go, excuse me, the hell does this have to do with anything? I mean, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to call it like I see it. After about midway through this book, I found it to just be monotonous minutiae. It was just like you said before, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. That's fine. I appreciate the fact that what's, what, the attempt here is is to tell a linear history of this team. I get that. But, you know, using the, the real-world element of this is supposed to be a hearing to determine whether or not these guys are guilty of what they've been accused of, there are a lot of elements of all four of these issues where somebody should have jumped up and been like, I'm sorry, I fail to see the point of the story that you just told. Yeah. Please, please keep it concise. Please keep it brief. Keep, please keep it on point. There are so many of these little stories and tangents here that, yes, while they are the, conveying the history of the team, have nothing to do with the point of the trial in the first place. So it just, it really did become kind of a slog after a bit. Um, and honestly, that that's about all I've got on this. I, I don't want to seem overly harsh on it, but by the end of this third issue, I was really like, man, I am ready for something to happen here, because uh, it, it just it just kind of goes on way too long, and it was uh, it was kind of tough to make it through. I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I was kind of glad to get to the fourth issue. <laughs> So, speaking of the fourth issue, all right, are we ready to jump into this one? Well, why don't we take a quick break, play some promos for some other right. shows, and then come back and you can tell us all about the exciting conclusion <laughs> to America versus the Justice Society of America. Oh, oh, well, no, it's not of America. Because I guess, well, that makes sense. You know, I never really thought about it until this very second, but 
it's America versus the Justice Society because America versus the Justice Society of America would have been repetitive. Huh. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Well, hi there. This is Huckleberry Ham. And when I'm not busy making movies and TV shows, I enjoy listening to my favorite internet radio show, Two True Freaks. They got all sorts of shows for y'all to listen to, covering all sorts of geeky topics. Star Trek, Star Wars, cartoons, scary movies, folks eating supper, music, giant monsters, and one feller who buys stuff at garage sales. And the funny books. My word, the funny books. Old funny books. New funny books. Scary funny books. Movies about funny books. Funny books about movies. British fellers talking about funny books. And lots more. So why don't you check these fellers out and head on over to twotruefreaks.com and tell them Huckleberry sent you. Two True Freaks, chock full of great podcasts since 2008. Sounds great, Mr. Hound. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, no problem, fellers. Now, if y'all excuse me, I have to run. I'm shooting a movie. It's a western, and if y'all see Quick Draw McGraw, don't tell him. He's still hot at me about the good, the bad, and Huckleberry Hound. And once he gets all El Cabong, he's a pain in the you-know-where. And then there was this one time that he and Baba Louie had a little too much sarsaparilla, and Quickdraw said something to Magilla Gorilla that I won't repeat, you understand? We were shooting Yogi's gang, and things got mighty tense. Boo-Boo, and, and Boo-Boo's a great feller, real sharp, love working with him. Boo-Boo kept it all from Yogi, you understand? But boy, I tell you, TwoTrueFreaks.com. Tell them Huckleberry the sent you. Superman, Captain Marvel, Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2, Sergeant Rock, the Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Tommy Tomorrow, Jonah Hex, Commandy. It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing, Wonder Woman. The New Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds will live. Green Arrow. Worlds will die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Ariane. The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. The Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents... And many, many more. Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Coming January only at twotruefreaks.com. Alrighty, everybody, we are back, and here is my good friend and president 
of the Paradigaton is Awesome Society, <laughs> Scott Gardner. I resigned. <laughs> In protest. <laughs> All right. So the stunning conclusion. We're going to cover issue number four of America versus the Justice Society. This is the April, the cover dated April 1985 issue. Actually went on sale almost, almost creeping up on uh, 30 years ago, January 24th, 1985. Now, in my opinion, this is the best cover of the entire series. It is uh, Jerry Ordway is the artist on this one, and you have uh, some great expressions, some stunned expressions on the faces of Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and, well, we don't see the expression on Dr. Fate, but they're all standing here, and they are looking at... A, an hourglass and inside the hourglass is uh per, per degaton looking very gloaty like i have won kind of thing and all these great images of technology throughout history you know everything from you know a, a sundial in ancient times right up to the space shuttle and uh, it's just a great image i really really like this cover what do you think mike do you like this oh one? i love it i i especially like dr fate um who I, mm-hmm. who I just like his design. Uh, and Ordway's the master at these things. He really is. I mean, the you know, we were talking in the, the previous cover how everyone looked young. Now everyone looks their, their age. Yeah. So, and uh, Per Degaton looks better than he... Well, except for a few panels in this issue where I think Per Degaton actually looks kind of awesome. Um, which is something most people would never say, uh, <laughs> really. But no, it's just a, just a very dramatic... And I like the D-Day for Degaton. I mean, it's just... It's yeah. old school and new school all wrapped into one. Yeah. I really like this cover, though. I, I just... I really like the image inside the hourglass of... It is a progression through time of technology, of innovations. You know, everything from... You've got a sundial and a candle and a spinning wheel and a biplane up through, you know, the refrigerator and the hairdryer and the automobile right up to nuclear power plants and the space shuttle. I just think that's really, really cool. It, it's very subtle in how it does progress from top to, or from bottom to top, but it, it, it's really, it's a neat image. Instead of just being a jumble of things, it actually go, goes in sort of a linear fashion, and I think that's cool. All right, so credits on this one. Oh, by the way, the original cover price was a buck. Uh, we've got uh, D-Day for Degaton is the name of the story. It was written and edited by Roy Thomas. Howard Bender, again, is the penciler. Alfredo Alcala is the embellisher. Dan Thomas, Roy's wife, is the co-plotter. Cody is the letter. And Carl Gafford is the colorist. And the quote for this issue is, The time has come, the walrus said, which is from uh, Lewis Carroll. Uh, I think that was from uh, the Alice books. In his secret lair, Per Degaton curses the JSA and says that if things continue the way they appear to be going with the uh, the hearing, he will take matters into his own hands to ensure the destruction of his hated foes. At said hearing, Dr. Midnight resumes the telling of the history of the team, recalling their battles with Professor Zodiac, Arakan, and the evil star over Hollywood. Helena Wayne interrupts to plead for an end to this madness and for the committee to proclaim the JSA blameless, but she is overruled. Wonder Woman is up next, telling tales that even she admits are lackluster about Dr. Er uh, Egri, 
the adventure of the invisible band and the reincarnation of Billy the Kid. But finally, she hits upon what sounds like a gem from the Golden Age, the story of little Edmund Blake, who as a child was dying in the hospital until the JSA gave him the will to live back in 1949. To everyone's amazement, the now-grown adult Edmund is present, having answered Helena's request to appear, and he testifies on the team's behalf. In his penthouse in Washington, D.C., O'Fallon steams about the turn the proceedings are taking when Perdegaton shows up to both taunt and reassure him that while the hearings appear to be going south, Degaton's own plan will see him conquer the world. Back at the hearings again, the JSA continue telling the team's life story, uh, what, to be, uh, what appear to be increasingly odd adventures, until at last we come to the tale Michael and I covered way back in episode number 23, The Defeat of the Justice Society, in which the team ultimately chose to retire and disappear from public view rather than reveal their secret identities at a hearing very much like this one. And while the world spun on and Superman, Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman remained active, the Justice Society wouldn't be seen again for 12 years when, after the Earth One's uh, Flash began teaming up with this world's Flash, the Oldsters came out of retirement and began teaming up annually with their younger Earth One counterparts. Suddenly, Power Girl bursts onto the scene to relate the Super Squad era of adventures in the All-Star Comics revival through the death of the Batman in Adventure Comics. And all you have to do to find out about that stuff is see the earliest episodes of Tales of the JSA. We talked all about these adventures. While this is going on, Dick Grayson begins to have second thoughts and doubts as to the sanity of his mentor, Bruce Wayne, during his last days. The Flash tells of the death of Mr. Terrific at the hands of the Spirit King and, subsequently, how they really ought to get around to avenging him one day, which wouldn't happen for something like 20 more years. That's such a shame. Well, we, we talked about in that episode how like everyone was a jerk to Mr. Terrific. And it's just yeah, like, they... we'll, we'll get around to it. Hey, uh, don't we have like that uh, pizza party we need to go to for <laughs> <Right>. Johnny? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, let's, yeah let's go to that. <laughs> They're total dicks to him. He dies, and then they don't bother to to avenge his or even solve his murder for. It's got to be like twenty years or better. Well, let me uh, put you this way: they're nicer to Johnny Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's messed up. Uh, there should have been a moment where somebody came up to Johnny and just been like, "It should have been you." <laughs> and it's the Thunderbolt. <laughs> Oh, so wrong. Uh, finally, with a mention of the recent creation of the Infinity Incorporated, the testimony of the JSAers concludes, and it is now in the hands of the committee to determine their fates. A recess is called, and outside a chauffeur calls Dick Grayson over to a waiting vehicle where old Dr. Nichols wants to speak with him. A casual remark about his age sparks a recollection about a time Nichols accompanied Bruce Wayne on a visit to Per Degaton while the former assistant to Professor Z was serving time in prison. Suddenly, Grayson orders the driver to take them to a certain address here in Washington, and upon arrival, he darts up the steps uh, of a rundown tenement and finds himself face to face with a withered, old, but still dangerous Per Degaton. 
Degaton tells of how his fourth attempt at conquering the world went horribly wrong when he shot his boss, Professor Z, intent on stealing his time machine, but the dying man stumbled backward into the device, which activated and disappeared, not to reappear again for 37 years. But Degaton, knowing the date, time, and place that the machine will reappear, has patiently waited sometimes still battling his old foes, just to keep himself occupied. Eventually, though, Perdegaton wound up in prison, which is where Bruce Wayne found him and learned of his plight, somehow putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Now the circle is complete. The time machine reappears, and Professor Z, fatally wounded, having been shot 37 years ago, stumbles out of, uh, out of the machine and lives just long enough to figure per de- uh, finger, rather, just long enough to finger per Degaton for his murder. The full roster of the JSA appears with the committee in tow and realizing that he has been found out and with no hope of escape, too old to face yet another prison term, per Degaton turns his weapon on himself and pulls the trigger. Outside, the Huntress and Dick Grayson reconcile their strained relationship as she gives the former Robin the final piece of the puzzle. The Batman fingered the JSA for treason in order to spur them to re-examine their own history and to ask questions about Z's mysterious disappearance years ago in hopes that they would figure out Perdegaton's plan to wait for the time machine. Now, personally, I'm not buying that bullshit at all. If it weren't for Dr. Nichols just happening to mention the 100-year club to Dick Grayson, the entire thing falls apart. Yeah, I'm going to get into that. that Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, all's well that ends well. With the JSA cleared and Robin shedding happy tears as his mentor smiles down on him from bat heaven. The end. Uh, Well, I guess we got the official notes from the All-Star Companion Volume 2. You've you've, you've gone to tutufreaks.com and ordered your copy, right? (laughs) You've done that, right? I mean, I don't want to have to, uh, like, do this whole guilt trip thing on you, but uh, I will if I have to. (laughs) So... If it sounds like flogging commence. If it sounds like I'm vamping for time, it's because I was vamping for time. Um, (laughs) The JSAers, so weird to write, read, and say. Uh, The JSAers relate their adventures from All Star Comics 42 to 57, and they're disbanding in 1951. Edmund Blake was who was who as a sick boy in 1948 was given the will to live by the JSA. And All-Star number 48 vouches for the JSA's character. wonder if Edmund was any relation to Adam Blake, Captain Comet, or Dr. Don Blake, Marvel's Thor. Considering this is Earth 2, I would say no. Um, when Green Lantern mentions the alien invasions by fire people and diamond men in All-Star 49 and 51, one aging audience member blurts out that he was in the National Guard troop set up against some of those outer spacers. And if not for the JSA, we have likely have wound up like the people on that V show on TV. V was a series about the conquest of Earth by aliens that lasted from 1983 to 1985. GL mentions how four ancient kings had put the JSA to sleep for an entire year. But the question of what happened to their personal lives and secret identities during that period is glossed over. <laughs> Power- I wondered about that. I really did. Paragor recounts a brief history of the All-Star Squad version of the JSA to which she'd belonged during the 1970s revival. She says the Huntress wishes she could be here, and of course she is. 
actually, and her alter ego as Helena Wayne. Before he shoots himself to avoid capture, Degaton was about to launch his ultimate plan, which, like his earlier ones, was to conquer the world by plunging it back into the Dark Ages. But this time he's, he's had nearly four more decades to salt away the latest weapons so that the Justice Society won't be able to stand against me. Yeah, right. The back cover of Avengers versus the Justice Society. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Uh, America, I guess it would be the All Winners Squad or the Invaders versus the Justice. The Invaders uh, versus the Justice Society. I'd, oh, I'd love that. Uh, America versus Justice Society number four is repoed from the original Petty Shocks art for the cover of All Star Comics number fifty four, which Roy Thomas owned at the time. The story titled "The Circus of a Thousand Thrills." had fallen off and was replaced by lettering in a simple, simpler style. And that is it for the notes. What do you got on this one, Scott? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, Settle back, folks. Yeah, what a legion of superheroes ending to this one. Jesus Christ. You know, now, granted, they didn't do the, the typical... So, reader, can you figure out the mystery? And we've given you all the clues, because they didn't. They did totally did not give you all the clues in this one. Um, yeah, you know, I appreciate a convoluted plot as much as the next guy if it makes sense and it all all the pieces fit together and the whole thing just kind of comes together at the end. This one doesn't do that. No. Why the hell didn't Batman just leave a note for these guys? Thank hey, by you. The way, you. Might want to check into Per Degaton. Why the hell go this far for this whole thing? Why drag his friends through the mud and risk their reputations and everything else? Plus, I, you know, I just got to reemphasize the fact that if it wasn't for the completely unplanned, there's no way that even the master planner version of Batman could possibly have predicted that Professor Nichols would have just happened to mention to Dick Grayson about the 100-year club. Without that vital piece of the puzzle, this entire thing falls apart. So, yeah, I just, oh, that, it just it makes me it's crazy. Dennis Miller, very early in his stand-up career, uh, had, a, had, a, had a great bit, and he says, uh, The Wizard of Oz... It's a great film, like every other great film. It has its fatal flaw. At the end of it, the Glinda the Good Witch says, Oh, you had the power to go back all along. All you had to do was click your heels together. You know, you had the power to tell me that three hours ago, bitch. I mean, I'm in Kansas. I'm doing the laundry. All of a sudden, there's a fucking tree chasing me. Right. You know, and it's just... And that's basically my reaction to him. You know, Professor, you could have mentioned this... When you came to us in the first place, mm-hmm. like that—that's that, a crucial piece of information. I mean, I completely agree with you. As dramatic as the ending is, and when I got to it, I'm like, "Oh wow, it's picking up." Now we're actually getting into story. Now we're getting into something I can sink my teeth into. It's just like Batman put this Rube Goldbergian plan <laughs> right. into <Yes>. place. <laughs> Where he could have just said, uh, Dick, here's the thing. On this day, if I'm dead, we really need to go after Per Degaton. Uh, because something bad's going to happen. Instead mm-hmm. of, I'm going to put out the breadcrumbs and hopefully my friends will figure it out. <laughs> really? Seriously? Uh, I mean, it, it's dramatic. Degaton taking his own life is a dramatic moment. It, it, it's, it should have been... 
like the the end of this. You know, it should have been like the end of an era that this villain realizes the the, the sum totals of his failures in life and doesn't want to go to prison where he knows he won't last and shoots himself. And it's all muddled by this goofy plot. Mm-hmm. It's kind of disappointing, really. And it's a shame. It's a shame that it has to be that way because in this last issue, I feel like the series is largely redeemed because I'm a sucker for good time travel stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can't really get much cooler than the fact that Degaton shot Professor Z. Z stumbles backwards into the time machine and the time machine disappears and he's got to be like, shit, you know? And now he knows he's got to wait 37 years for the machine to reappear. But he's on the spot in this dilapidated building in this dark and, and you know gritty basement talking you know, and threatening Dick Grayson. He's, gonna ki- he's outright going to kill Dick Grayson. And suddenly, out of nowhere, pop, the machine comes back. It's like, it's like that scene in Back to the Future, you know, when, when Marty and the doctor are standing there and they're discussing everything about Time Machine. And then they're almost run over by the car as it comes you know, from a minute in the past. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. It's just cool. Because essentially, you know, to them, all this time has passed. But to the time machine and the occupants of the time machine, no time has passed. They've skipped all those those moments in time. And that's what happens here. The machine appears and Professor Z, who was just shot to his sensibility, he was just mortally wounded. But, to you know, to Perdegaton, this was, you know, 37 years ago. I just love that. And he stumbles out. He lives just long enough to to finger his his uh, you know his killer, and then he dies. And it's just it's really I really like that element of it, and uh, I even like you know the the thing with Perdegaton just admitting that you know I I can't do this again. You know you've defeated me yet again. I'm too old to do this shit. I can't go back to prison. So he just blows his brains out. Now, I you know I I'm I don't. You know, we try so hard not to be spoilery here, but I'm just curious if you remember, Mike. I mean, we do see Perdegaton mm-hmm. again. Yes, so, we do. <laughs> so does he just get better? It's in it... the past, so I guess it really doesn't. Ah, uh, okay. So, so this is the final fate of Perdegaton, and all other Perdegatons are prior. Yeah, to prior this point versions, in his I timeline. Guess, I guess that's the I... best way to explain it because he's part of that. Uh that annual crossover between Young All-Stars and Infinity Incorporated in like 1988, 1987. Right. Well, like I say, I I knew for a fact that this was not the last time we see him, but I was trying to remember how he recovers from this. So essentially this is, this is his death and the future appearances that we see are actually prior in his Mm -hmm. personal timeline. Yes. That's cool. That's actually really cool. Does anybody ever tip the hand to him that they know what becomes of him? Um, I haven't read those stories in 15 years. Because so that would actually it. be kind of cool. Because didn't something like that happen to Professor Zoom? Where we saw him die, but then there were subsequent appearances, but somebody actually told him. Well, what happened was it was in the uh, Return of Barry Allen story in The Flash that Mark Wade wrote. And right. the Professor Zoom that's in that story, uh, to completely spoil that story that was published you know, <laughs> over 20 years ago, uh, right. 
in that story, the zoom that you see is actually the Eobard Thwan that was before he became Professor Zoom that fought Barry Allen. Uh, he was okay. a fan of the Flash. He had made himself look like Barry Allen, and he went to the past to uh, to you know meet his you know to you know basically become his idol, whatever, blah blah blah. And he's in the Flash Museum, and he stumbles across the the thing about how the Flash kills Eobard Thawne, and he snaps, and he assumes Barry's identity and tries to subvert it. And it was actually a neat trick. It was a great way to have that character come back. And then it, it ever, the timeline still work out, basically. Yeah, I'd say I thought that was really cool. I thought that was very clever, actually. Um, really very few notes on this one. Uh, I liked this issue a whole lot better than the, than the prior issues. Um, page two, Professor Zodiac is wearing a Davy Crockett cap. I just thought that that was that's Professor, a very strange look. For Professor this. Zodiac, <laughs> king of the goofy ass capes. Yep, yeah, that is one weird outfit. He's got a fur lined collar on that cape with moon. It's like he raided some little kid's like uh, curtain set, and then took that kid's mom's fur coat and made a costume. It's like he went to the clearance section of like. Uh, like Party City, like the day after Halloween, and this was everything that was left. Or of like Michael's or Hobby Lobby, where he, right, he gets yeah. like the the, the 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 fabric remnants. <laughs> wow, these are on clearance. I'm going to pick these up. I can do something with this. Wow, yeah, that is one screwy outfit. He can't decide whether he's king of the wild frontier or whether he's a <laughs> the uh, leader of the village people. I mean, right. <laughs> Uh, I love love this giant robot yes. on page three. That is so cool. It's all in the see, eyes. Well, you can see the people inside the guts of it. Actually, <laughs> it's like a little little office building inside where you can see four guys hard at work making all the the parts of the robot move. That is really neat. And you know the music in there is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is it just me or do a lot of the golden age adventures of the JSA from this period sound pretty shit? Cause I mean, they're battling an old woman with a mop and a bucket in one. They're <laughs> battling the reincarnation of Billy the kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently they're yeah. fighting a washing machine at one point <laughs> right. on page five. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know that's her 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 thing, but her, her uh, ma- the magic sphere and all that. But still, it looks like a washing machine. It does look like a washing machine. Now, page eight, the third panel, Mister Alpha. Never heard of this guy before, but damn, he looks cool. Mm-hmm. I like his outfit. He's actually pretty neat looking. Uh what else have I got? Let's see. Jumping way ahead here, page nineteen. I've just wow. got a note here. <laughs> Yeah, I skipped a bunch of stuff. Um, page 19, panel 3. I've just got a note that says, what the hell? Okay, so Superman, and he's saying, way to go, Carrie. He says, if I ever decide to totally retire, even my, uh, even abandon my adopted planet, I know it'll be... So what? He's seriously thinking about this? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, this Superman especially, I could see like having like little dark moments where he's like, you know, fuck you all. 
I'm, I am deuces, and he, he flies off, and it's just, you know, his, Lois is, is getting on in years, so his life is kind of <laughs> winding down, in a way, so... Well, you know, know that that element is is starting to be introduced in Infinity Incorporated around this time yeah. where where Superman is suddenly this version of Superman is suddenly all homesick for Krypton and everything, but I would think if if there were of the two versions of Superman that were, you know, in existence at this time, the Earth 1 and the Earth 2, I would think that this doesn't quite fit with the Earth 2 version because did he even know anything about his Kryptonian heritage until late in his life? Yeah, he was like Wow, it was like the the Power Stone story, where he first figured out that he was from Krypton. Right. And the only thing I can, you know, the only way I would no prize that is that, yeah, like when he's in his twenties and thirties and forties, it doesn't matter. But now that he's getting a little later in life, maybe he's pining for the world that he came from that he really didn't know anything about. So, but well, still, it's 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 an odd. It's an odd bit of character to uh, to to put on him, really. Well, what I was kind of gleaning from the 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 part of the generation saga where he went on his power trip was that perhaps the Krypton of this version of Superman, the Earth Two version of, of Superman, is the Krypton that I always had favored, where it was a race of supermen. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's he's wanting to be amongst his people essentially i mean not that you know the other i mean the earth one superman of course you know he always pined for krypton too but that was more of a i lived there that was my home with this superman i I get the sense of maybe it's more a sense of of you know he he sees the world around him as paper you know because he he said something during his power trip and i wish i could remember exactly what it was now but essentially just that in his heart of hearts, as much as he tries to be the hero and, and he's there for humanity and all that sort of thing, at the same rate, he always had that that sense of, I'm better than them. Or, you know, or that I'm not so much better, but that, you know, he comes from a, a superior breed of, of man, essentially, you know, a, a more advanced uh, culture. So maybe that's what he's pining for is, is you know, that Krypton that he could live you know, and, and just be normal amongst everybody else that was on the same level of, I don't know if I'm making any sense, yeah, no, but that's kind of what, what I gleaned out of it. Yeah. Uh, what else have I got here? Um, I glossed over the fact at the end here that it was also revealed that, um, if Jensen hadn't killed Batman, that he was going to die anyway, that it's, now, this was another thing I, I kind of wish I hadn't glossed over because it did kind of bug me just a little bit that Helena is the one that reveals this to Dick at the end of the story. This was a bit of retconning I could have lived without. Yeah. That that she chose to keep this a secret the whole time, that she actually knew that he had fatal cancer. Yes. So that that just, yeah... I didn't really care for that element of it. I, I didn't really see the point of pointing that out. That you know, one way or the other, he was a dead man. I guess it was to add um, justification to why he gave the diary to Nichols. So it wasn't so much that he presaged his own death as that he knew he was going to die. I, I guess I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
But at the same time, I mean, you know, she goes, the cancer caused his hostility to the JSA. His Batman persona knew that. Some whoa, 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 whoa! Time out here. Okay, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, was it was it a brain tumor, which would explain erratic behavior? And right. I, I could see him being hostile, like because you're going through, you know, you're accepting of you're about to die and all that, but. To, to basically suggest that Bruce Wayne was dying of cancer and knew it, but, you know, his Batman persona, which was a separate personality altogether, you know, right? That That's what we're agreeing to, right? You know, it knew, so it it created this plan. Again. Well, her next, her next thought bubble, or, excuse me, her next speech bubble says, I guess he just found a convoluted way of letting the JSA blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're goddamn right he did. <laughs> convoluted is exactly the word. Yes. <laughs> You are right. Wow. Yeah. Very convoluted. And again, Huntress, you could have revealed this at the beginning of the trial. Yeah. Just throwing no that out kidding. there. Yeah. No joke. Very last page, the, the splash page at the very end, um, the Adam is showing his senility by wearing his tidy whities on the outside of his <laughs> outfit. <laughs> You know, it's not that it's a bad plot or a bad story or anything like that. It's just the things it has working against it is it has an excruciatingly slow pace. Mm -hmm. The endless and, dare I say, needless recapping of basically every adventure and the impossible to, to piece together, you know, completely dumb luck filling in the missing clue nature of the mis uh, of the mystery you know, it, it it hurts the story. It really does, and it and it strains my. And I I consider when I sit down with a comic like this, especially from this era, I really do consider myself to have an incredible uh, ability of suspension of disbelief that I'm able to put a lot of shit aside to just roll with it. You know, but. I, at the same rate, I expect the story to at least make sense in the internal logic, how, however ridiculous that logic may be. It's got to make sense within the internal logic of the universe that I'm exploring. And when it doesn't, it annoys me. And so I was a little annoyed with this one that, you know, I like your idea that instead of it being, she says he was dying of cancer, that it would be a brain tumor because a brain tumor would explain her statement about, you know, his split personality and, you know, the hostility that he had and all of that. Yeah, that would be a great explanation is that he knew he was dying. He knew what it was, but somehow he was powerless to stop it in his Bruce Wayne identity. So his Batman identity kicks in and comes up with this, you know, convoluted way of, of cluing his teammates in that, hey, something's up and I'm not going to live to stop it. You're going to have to deal with it. That's great. That that actually works a lot better and and justifies the story. Although still, it, nothing, in my opinion, saves that one element of this is that Dr. Nichols provides the, the critical piece of the puzzle completely by unplanned it's circumstance. It's out of the blue. It's just like, yeah. oh, by the way, did I mention this before when I brought this to you? And it's just like, it's just bugged me it was just like i was reading it going wait this is actually happening this 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 isn't 
this isn't an imaginary part of the story or whatever. This guy's just literally showing up at the in the in the last hour of the you know the last act, going, "Oh, by the way, uh, I have the piece to the puzzle you need to make sense of all this." So. Right. I mean, am I wrong in that? I mean, was there anything in this no. story that that would have given Dick the the clue if, if it hadn't been for that that chance meeting and that chance mention of the of the club by professor i'm right in that right yeah you're absolutely right you are 100 percent right actually so yeah so I, I mean i just wanted to make sure that i wasn't harping on something that that wasn't really but no i mean I'm, I'm looking back over the pages here and it shows dick is leaving the hearing and it doesn't say where he's going or whatever but he doesn't seem to be a man on a mission he's just kind of heading out the door and he has this little meeting with with Nichols, and that's where all of a sudden he's oh, holy shit i just figured it all out and then he races to where perdegaton is so without that meeting which there's no freaking way that batman could have predicted that yeah the whole goddamn thing falls apart uh, <laughs> this just makes me crazy i guess it's funny it is kind of funny but yeah i guess you just weren't supposed to think about that too much <sighs> wow um, wow. My specific notes on this issue are are mainly artistic, actually, because uh, I think we talked about the, the story elements. Uh, you liked the robot on page three. I like the idea that a bad guy just puts a giant star on his head and wears a suit. <laughs> uh, that, that's kind of that's kind of endearing. Um, page it's four- Electro dressed up for a special occasion. <laughs> page four, Lois Lane looks odd. Uh, and if you would have told, if, if he hadn't have told me that that was Inza Nelson, considering she hasn't been drunk consistently in this entire series, I wouldn't have known that. So I, I appreciate the text there. Uh, page seven, that last panel, Per Degaton looks like an EC comic there for a second. <laughs> right. Uh, I like the, I like the look of, uh, Mr. Alpha too. It's, it's a little weird. Um, page 10, that gal, gavel looks gigantic. Uh, even even with the perspective of it, uh, <laughs> I thank you. Page thirteen. I love the shot of the two flashes running side by side. Uh, here's a story note. Here they're like, we don't believe this whole other Earth thing, despite the fact that we kind of bought into it last issue when you told <laughs> right. us there was more than one Earth. But still, uh, love Power Girl just coming in. Uh, even though on page sixteen it looks like she's about to start singing. <laughs> and now for my new hit. My cover of the Beatles, da, 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 da. and then she starts touring. <laughs> uh, she starts touring uh, malls and gets really popular. Power Girl. You know, I forgot to make a note of it, but uh, but I uh, see the the layout's weird here, so it's not even really a panel. But across from her, where she lo- she does look like she's about to start singing. That shot of uh, Star Spangled uh-huh. Kid, Robin, and Power Girl, that's straight off of uh, yeah, nice. the, the cover of the revival. That's great. Yeah, it's a nice little homage of that. Uh, I love the artwork of Huntress on page 18, uh, kicking mm-hmm. that dude in the face. Again, that's kind of an homage to, to what came before. So, uh, yeah, poor Mr. Terrific. And the art in the back, ha- in the back, you know, last, you know, 10 pages is actually uh, really good. Um really emotional and again that's that's the only way i can really get into this weird ending where you start like you know once you start poking holes in it it's suddenly like you know swiss cheese uh that shot of him killing himself is very dramatic yeah and it's shadowed and, and it's in the the shocked look 
on power. Oh, I'm assuming that's Power Girl. Uh, and Huntress's face as the blam is over them, and then the next page of Hunt- Huntress crying. Uh, and then on the final page, you know, we get like the happy-go-lucky Batman, and I'm like, you know, saying, "You solved it." <laughs> you solved my mystery. Congratulations. And Superman looks up and goes, Bruce, you dick. <laughs> you could have told me. But can you just leave a post-it on the refrigerator <laughs> next time? No, I mean it was a it was a good ending to a series that was a little tough to get through. Yeah. And I'm kinda glad that we're 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 past it, so now we can get back <laughs> to no, that that sounds mean. And it, 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 it... <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, you're. Uh, no, it was just funny the way you said it. Uh, oh, I'm so glad we're done with this one. <laughs> so now we can get back to the All Star Squadron and, and and Starman's thing and Infinity Incorporated, where we get the one Don Newton issue and and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's it's. Uh, uh, plus, we've got Crisis coming up, which I think we're both like itching to get to. So maybe that yes. maybe that was another reason we felt this was such a slog. It's just like we got Crisis. It's it's, it's like when you know, like that you know, like when you were a kid in school and it was pizza day, and you were really looking forward to lunchtime, but you had to get through math class. It's it's kind of how it is. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe I the food agree. in your school sucked. So. You know, something I had forgotten to look up, and actually I feel like I've been very remiss of this of late in our episodes, is reprinting. Has this been reprinted no. at all? It has not. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold up. I think it will be this year. Here we are. It's, uh, I'm looking at Amazon here. It's it's solicited. It says America versus the Justice Society. It says paperback. Yep. Um, title will be released July 28th, 2015. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, so it it is, it it will, it's not now, but it will be then. And unfortunately, you know, most of the time we do this kind of stuff, we, it seems like we're, we're saying, yeah, go ahead and pick it out. I wonder if we've just hurt sales of this book. (laughs) I, I hope not. I mean... You know, it's. I, I think it's. It should be part of any completest collection. Um, yeah, and, and then there are people that out there that are much more enamored of the golden age stuff that I am. See that for me personally, that was a lot of why it was such a slog. Was the golden age stuff? I, I just, you know, I honestly, just, I really don't care. There's a reason why this show started when it started. You know, with yeah. the revival <laughs> stuff. I'm just not interested in that older stuff. I find a lot of it to be really kind of... It's just not my my brand of comics, you know? So that was a lot of it. But I'm hoping I adequately conveyed that I think this fourth issue made up for a lot of that. I really did like uh, the time travel element. You know, the reveal of the whole thing at the end with Per Degaton and, and the time machine and all, I thought was pretty cool. Um, it, it's just, you know, there's that, that big old hole in the story. But other than that, I mean, ultimately, I'm glad I revisited it. It's not one of those stories I could, you know, reread all the time. I mean, this is my, I think this is my first reread of it since it was brand new back in 85. But, uh, I mean, it was interesting. It was fun in its own way. <laughs> it was, I'm trying to be it nice. Was, it, it was, it was good. <laughs> it was good. No, I mean, we're... 
it, it's it was an, better than a sharp blow to the back of the head. Let me put it that way. Well, to be honest, this you know it's something we needed to cover. It's it's very right. much in the wheelhouse of what we're we're doing on this show. This came out in 1984. It's written by Roy Thomas. The show has you know pretty much become the Roy Thomas show since we right. started All Star Squadron, uh, and since we're covering Infinity Incorporated and keeping up with the excuse me the then contemporary. Um, the then contemporary JSA, you know, th- th- this was a pretty big story. It just happened to be, if we weren't covering this for a podcast, if we weren't critically, you know, analyzing it, because it's something I run into is just like, am I being nitpicky because I'm doing a show? Am I being a nitpicky because that's how I feel? Would I feel this way about the thing if I was, you know, just reading this for fun. And what I always come back to is I just take it as it comes. I don't try to overthink how I'm analyzing it because then you're going to kind of cripple yourself, you know, because right. then you're like, well, I can't say anything bad about this because it's supposed to be all for fun. And if I was just reading this because I wanted to read a, read the, the miniseries for my own enjoyment I'd probably enjoy this as a history and get to the end and go, well, that was kind of wonky, but and close the book and, you know, put it back in my, you know, my short boxes and that's it. But, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this in terms of kind of reviewing it. And for the most part, we review these things kind of as it was coming out in 1982 or 83 or 84. Right. Uh, and, you know, judging it based on that. And even judging it based on that, it's wonky. So... Right. But that's that's pretty much all we have on that. What do we got next time, Scott? Next time we have another issue of the uh, All-Star Squadron and a new chapter begins for Infinity Incorporated and we have the penultimate installment of Crisis Management. Yeah. So we have Crisis on Infinite Earths looming large on the horizon, folks. It's going to be awesome. It's sitting over there, just waiting for us to talk about. Waiting us for <laughs> us to read and pick apart. It's going to be... Uh, I think it's going to be one of the crowning achievements of the show. Yes. <laughs> Either that or we're going to completely screw it up. <laughs> no! <laughs> You've reached the end to another amazing episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. You can find this show as well as an entire slew of other awesome podcasts on a wide variety of geek-related subjects from giant monsters to time lords to movie commentaries to fangirl interests at www.twotruefreaks.com. There you can hear Scott on such shows as Star Wars Monthly Monday. Star Trek Monthly Monday, Comics Monthly Monday, and occasionally, Back to the Bins. Mike is on Comics Monthly Monday as well as hosting or co-hosting a few shows himself, like Views from the Long Box, which can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which can be found at www.fortressofbailytube.com. Scott and Mike have gigantic egos. They love to hear themselves talk. More importantly, at least according to their publicist, they want to hear from you. So you can reach the guys by writing to tales of the JSA at gmail.com. 
Would you like to sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks network shows? Simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com. Click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. You can also support this show and the Two True Freaks Network as a whole when you shop on Amazon. Again, simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon link. There is no additional charge to your purchase, and a portion of that will get kicked to the network. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Thank you for listening and come back next time for another exciting episode of the tales of the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm.